Our gospel this morning is from John chapter 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for you. We might hear a word from you today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. I think my brain is is still on vacation, so forgive me. Um, I would guess uh, that if you sort of plopped out of the air and into our sanctuary this morning and heard Brian's, I wasn't going to go all vampire diaries on us this morning, but uh, I would guess if you had not been to church before and had suddenly just been kind of plopped into the pews this morning and heard this text and heard this story, you might be just a little bit freaked out. Uh, And you wouldn't be alone, actually. Uh, Lots of people in the early church or in the early days of the church were a little freaked out by some of the language that the church used. On the other hand, I would guess if you're somebody who's been part of a church community, who have been somebody who's grown up in faith, somebody who's grown up listening to this kind of language, I would guess it probably went by you without even a second thought because you've probably already done something with this language that we hear almost every Sunday in your mind and either you just don't think about it anymore or you've come to some place of thinking about what it is. I can say the good news is, I think if you read the rest of the story, the good news is, is even when Jesus dies, none of his disciples take one of his thighs and start eating it. So there is good news to be found there. This is metaphorical, spiritual, symbolic language about who Jesus is and how we are to interact with him. However, I did notice on vacation, there are lots of babies that come with my family up to this resort that we go to up north in Detroit Lakes. There's babies everywhere. And I heard this, and if you were to hear this and reading this text, it might freak you out just a little bit. Babies are cute. They're also chubby and relatively tender. And I heard somebody say, oh my gosh, you are so cute, I could just eat you up. Now... If you're a parent, this should freak you out just a little bit, I think. We have stories of Hansel and Gretel and kids in the oven. I mean, this is not unusual. Freaked me out anyway. But I think the language is symbolic. Even when we're talking about babies, of course, it's metaphorical, right? It's about connection and closeness. It's about somehow even participating in that innocent cuteness that babies have, I think. It's about wanting to be in relationship with that child in that case, 
wanting to internalize the experience so that it sort of goes with you. It has some import. There's just something so attractive about children walking down the side of the sanctuary as I turn and watch everybody's head go that direction. But there's something about that feeling and there's something that we want to be visceral and experiential and even physical about those intangible things that we see and feel and experience. And what could be more sensory than eating? It means, at least watching my niece and nephew who are one and four eat, it means putting something actually physically in your hand, like a noodle with butter. This was the greatest thing ever. My, my nephew didn't like any of the food when we were on vacation. He literally would open the butter packets and eat them, eat the butter with his finger. He just, mmm, butter all weekend long. <laughs> but there's something visceral about that, right? You, you feel it on your hand, you feel it in your mouth, you taste it, you might even recognize when you've eaten too much and you feel it down in your tummy. There is something about eating that is so visible, visceral and physical and tangible that helps to bring out those things that are more emotional and spiritual and harder to get at. So I wonder, have you ever experienced Jesus in this way? Viscerally? Tangibly? Experientially? If you've been in church before, you know that all this language is about communion. And what we do when we celebrate the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. So I wonder if for you, and if we had time, I would ask, it would be great for you to, and this is a terrible thing to do in a sermon, but I'm going to ask you to just think for a second. <laughs> what do you experience when you come to communion? And you put a piece of bread in your hand, and you put it in your mouth, and you chew it, and you eat it. And when you drink a cup of wine... What is it that you experience when you come here and have that opportunity? Just think about that for just a second. The last time you came up for communion, what did you experience? This is a terrible thing to do because you're all going to dream about your grocery list, but just think about it for a second. What I want to do is sort of tell you what I experience when I come to communion. Rather than having you tell us all of the things that you thought about, I'm going to tell you some of the things that I think about when I come to communion and have this visceral, tangible experience of God being as close as the food that comes into my tummy. The very first thing I think about, especially when I come to communion here because we kneel, is that I have this very tangible, visceral experience of being finite, if we think that God is somehow really strangely in this bread and this wine in a way that God says God is located in no other place, I have the sense of my own finitude in the face of God's infiniteness. I have my sense of being mortal and being human in a tangible, visceral way than I have any other place in the whole world. It's kind of like I remember feeling when I was a little kid and I saw an adult that I admired. I remember very distinctly when I was in vacation Bible school, when I was a kid, there was a young woman who was playing guitar, and I thought, wow. I have this sort of visceral experience that there's somehow this gap between us. Even as this God comes super close, I feel like there's this infinite distance between us. 
And I especially feel that way and reminded my, me of being a kid and there was this gap between me and the adults who knew and did things that I couldn't. And I also had sort of this sense of awe and wonder and even a little bit of, not in a bad way, but a visceral sense of fear of I'm not that. That is something that I'm not. And not in sort of a trouble sense, but in the sense of being the infinite and being finite and limited. The second thing that I experience when I come to communion is that I am viscerally aware of all of my shortcomings. I think this happens a lot in the biblical stories. When God comes close, we have this visceral experience of seeing the things that we don't like about ourselves. Whether they're expressed or not, jealousy or anger or laziness or selfishness, even if they're not exposed in the light, somehow when I come to communion, I have the sense that God still knows because I still know. The thing that all of my references today are going to be about vacation, by the way, so sorry about that. On vacation, I noticed that my one-year-old nephew and my four-year-old almost niece this was amazing to me. You could give them both the exact same thing, but if one blow pop was red and one was purple, the only thing they wanted was what the other one had. It's amazing. And then you could just take them and switch them, and they were happy as can be. It was amazing to me that at one years old, one of my nephew's favorite words is, mine. I find that to be just fascinating. On the one hand, kids are so innocent and wonderful and beautiful. On the other hand, they are just like us from the very beginning. And they have no qualms about telling you. We just learn how to hide it better. I feel like that little kid coming to the communion rail when I think of all the things that I want to be. Mine. But at the same time, I also have this sense that somehow God sees past those things. Not that God ignores them, but there's a sense of wonder and forgiveness and what I would describe as hope. It's as, it's as if when I come for communion and I get that viscerally close to God in the bread and the wine, God opens my eyes to see beyond my frailty into my future even into a future self that God both desires and hopes for me to become. And I feel that pull viscerally, as if it's inspiration to listen more closely each and every day to who God would like this person of me to be. And strangely, I have a sense that God does the whole thing for the whole world. That somehow God has this vision of what the world could be like, you and me and everybody else in it together. And when I sit down and kneel at communion, I viscerally feel that pull towards some future hope that God desires and sees for the world. I have hope that I could be forgiven and grow and that the world could be forgiven and grow into who God would like it to be too. Now, just another quick aside... I know what it's like to go into the wilderness and to enjoy nature and to take a vacation. The place where my family has gone on vacation for 35 years, Fair Hills and Detroit Lakes, is a magical place. If there is anything that's like zen in the world, that's what Fair Hills is like. I just don't think about anything. It's crazy. And as soon as I got in the car and got like out of Detroit Lakes and onto 94, it was like, blah, the world just sort of rushed back into my brain. 
It is time out of time. And I know people have that kind of same experience when they go on vacation, when they go out into the wilderness, when they go fishing, when they go out on the lake, they go for a walk. There's this kind of peace and tranquility that you find there. But it is, I think, sort of time out of time. The difference for me in communion is that I'm confronted with the reality of both who I am and who the world is, and it's not always comfortable. And there's something that I find both important and helpful about that. In some ways, strangely, when I kneel for communion, I'm actually glad that God sees into who I actually am and that I get to tell the truth about myself instead of the time out of time where I just sort of forget about it all because that's not real either. So I get the draw to be out in the wilderness, but for me, somehow communion viscerally pulls me into the truth more closely and then helps me become the person that God hopes that I become more truly than when I just forget. Honestly, the challenge of coming face-to-face with that in communion is somehow helpful and even hopeful. In some ways, I'm forgiven and asked and inspired to be more. One of the last things that happens to me at communion, and maybe this happens especially for pastors, because we're so aware of who sits and kneels, I should say kneels where, in the communion line. I know that uh, when I come to communion, I often look out and wonder and miss those who aren't here. There are people that should be kneeling among us on God's table, around God's family table, that aren't, aren't here. And I miss them tangibly. These are the saints who have gone before us, who have sat at this family dinner table with us time and time again. And when I come to their spot in the line and they're not there, my heart breaks a little. I have a feeling this is what it's like when you sit down for dinner as a family after someone has recently passed away and they're not sitting in the chair or they're not on vacation with you or they aren't at the family celebration. I feel that viscerally when I come to the communion table. I think about my grandparents. I think about my grandparents' parents. I think about Quint. I think about Jan Strathy. I think about Elton Klug. I think about who isn't here among our family. This is our family table. And one of the most important words in the Gospel of John is the strange word meno, to abide, a word that we don't use very often. But there's something about being around this table that reminds me in God's infinite wisdom and memory, everyone is still there. In the infinite wisdom of God's hope and eternity, everyone is still at the table. And I have a visceral sense that that's true. Then finally... The last thing I feel when I come to the table is I actually physically feel fed. Now, I will admit, when we get a short pour in the wine from time to time, I will take two cups and pour them together into one for a double shot. It's quality control, I understand, but I'm looking for an experience here is what I'm telling you. But I feel physically fed, not in the full sense of being on vacation and eating too much food. I know that feeling of being fed. Instead, what, I'm, what I feel fed is I feel grateful for everything that's been given to me. My brain, my clothes, my talent, my skills, my house, my family, my friends, and even time itself. I feel fed as if all these things were given to me without any of my own deserving, which I think is the truth, which leads me to a sense of humility 
kneeling for just a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. Everything was here before I got here and everything will be here long after I'm gone. And then I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be surrounded by others who share in this sense of humility and gratitude. Because to swim in that family of faith with others like you is like swimming in a lake of love. It's like bathing in a bathtub of hope and joy. It fills me up and inspires me to then go back out into the world where things are hard and reminds me of who I really am and who you are. It's a sense of an abundant life. The way John puts it is an eternal life, which for God doesn't have a time stamp. It begins now and goes into eternity. The, eternity, uh, the eternal life that you can participate in with God happens every day, all around you. It's an abundant life, a hopeful life, a grateful life. So I don't know what you experience when you come to communion, but those are some of the things that I experience when I come to communion. When you come up here today for communion and you get that little piece of bread and that little cup of wine, we are physically consuming God's presence. What does that mean for you? What does that feel like for you? If you go home today and ride in the car with somebody, take a chance and tell them what that feels like. It will probably make it more real. Amen.